Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com slash podcast. All right, let's get started. I had a great chat with Andrew McLean at DevCycle, a DevTools startup focusing on feature flags. We get into the details of running developer relations at a startup and how streaming is one of the key things and key skills that you can use to build your user community. All right, Andrew, let's chat. Andrew, welcome. It's great to have you here. Great to have you on the Fireside Vox Gig podcast talking about DevCycle, feature flags, community building, and all sorts of other fun stuff. And for those of you listening on audio, Andrew has a totally awesome pair of green glasses that we spent our preparation time talking about instead of preparing for this podcast. So who knows what's going to happen. Let's start with DevCycle. What do you guys do? Yeah, so so DevCycle is a feature flag management company. Um, if you've never heard of a feature flag management company, that's because feature flag management is a pretty new space in the world of software development. Feature flags have been around for a while. Um, if you've never heard of them before, a feature flag is uh, fundamentally a piece of a conditional statement you put into your code around a new feature that you're developing that allows for you to target it to specific audiences or to not target specific audiences. And so you can use these as uh, tools for like things like A-B testing as sort of emergency off switches in your code. Also really powerful for things like continuous deployment and trunk-based development. Feature flags are really huge. Um, as part of that. So DevCycle um, is a platform that allows for you to manage those um, in a really um, organized and developer-centric way. So um, it's easy to sort of um, roll out your own feature flags in code uh, if you're doing it yourself with a small project. But once you get into the thousands or millions of flags, then you start to need a tool like DevCycle that'll help you roll out. Environment variables are just not going to cut it anymore right yeah uh, exactly uh i i could have been i could have used you guys last week last week i deployed some code that um did a uh, denial of service attack on an api provider so oh no oh, they no, know who they are that. really sorry guys sorry about that <laughs> we've all uh, been there before yeah. um yeah and, and it's interesting right this is such a new um it's such a new space in the industry that it's been very uh cool to come in that previous to devcycle feature flags were something that I'd seen and actually used, but didn't fully understand. And when you live in the world of feature flags for a long time, especially when you're in like a DevRel role at a feature flag company, you discover all of these crazy use cases for them um, that you never would have thought of before. Yeah. And of course, I did not have an emergency off switch. It was like an emergency deploy, right? And actually to run through all the deploy stages and everything, it took about 20 minutes to shut it down, right? Mm. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a long time. Uh, that's a long time, right? I'm going, oh man, why do we have such a robust robust testing process <laughs> to ensure that whatever goes into production actually works? Oops, <laughs> it was working too well. <laughs> do you know, uh, Drew, I, I, I'm trying to think who first popularized the idea of feature flags. I know that the GitHub devs used to use them quite a lot. Who did? I mean, it's probably been around for 50 years, right? But who kind of popularized, do you think? 
It has. And there's, it's funny. So I'm going to look this up now. So apologies for um, the background uh, clicking on my keyboard, if you hear it. So um, Martin Fowler did an amazing Mm. blog post a few years ago that it's actually called Feature Toggles, aka Feature Flags. If you look up Feature Flag Martin Fowler, um, of course it was was him. Of course he did. Of course he did. but and then like inter so that was sort of like the the person who I think really popularized this and like we quote him often on our site if you Google like the Wikipedia for feature toggles or feature flags you'll kind of see him referenced there, um, but obviously one of the sort of major SaaS companies that really um, really popularized feature flags that you've probably heard of is Launch Darkly. Um, gotcha. and so yeah. they've been in this space for, for a while. Um, and then, um, yeah, feature flags within the past couple of years have gotten really, um, so, um, well used in the space that there's now actually an open standard for feature flags that's being developed no through cloud really? native. Yeah. It's called open feature. Um, oh, that's and, uh, it's, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it actually just graduated to an incubated project with the cloud native computing foundation. And so, um, yeah, we're like big behind me. There's a poster that says like dev cycle, a proud member of the open feature ecosystem. That um, is a nice place to be when your startup is implementing a standard. Yeah. Oh that's my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And like that's such a, a cool community too. like such a, it's, uh, um, it's sort of being led by uh certain people but then they're really welcoming to pull other people in they do a weekly call with their community where they that they record and put up on youtube so like everything is transparent yeah it's super super interesting there's a uh, i'm irish so this there's, there's a uh, well-known little story in the irish tech scene uh there was a company called iona technologies this goes back to the 90s and they were one of the first companies to fully implement corba I'm probably giving okay. people PTS, PTSD talking about Corba, but um, yeah, they made a small fortune because they were they were one of the first, right? Get in there early with standards, and uh, off you go. Uh, Absolutely. Unfortunately, they suffered from uh, something the feature flags probably helped with. Um, part of what happened to them, and this is actually from the horse's mouth, from some of my former colleagues would have worked there. They ended up with so many different deployed versions that the maintenance cost was extremely high that their development velocity crumbled and competitors got ahead. Yeah. Because they were maintaining older versions in production. Yeah, uh, exactly. Feature flags help with that, right? So they do. And and I mean, I think there's even... Yeah, yeah. so they do. So with feature flags, you can... Um, because you're at any given point in time, if you're say using trunk-based development, which is like the the world in which feature flags really shine. Um, And so in in trunk-based development, you are, instead of pulling off a feature in development off into its own branch, you're actually working on every feature in the main branch and you're just Mm -hmm. wrapping those features in flags that you can control and turn on and off at any given time. So technically you're never really releasing a version that you need to maintain. You're just releasing the same version with different features enabled or disabled. So you have that control over who sees what and how. Um, Okay. Okay. So (laughs) I see a problem with that straight away, right? And I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not being difficult. This this is like a literal genuine question, right? I mean, if I have a hundred feature flags, that gives me two to the power of a hundred versions that I could potentially have to test, right? So what do you do about that? 
Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a, I, I wish that I knew the answer to that completely. I think like the conversation around uh, technical debt with feature flags is obviously huge out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a lot of work that we're doing even internally. And I think in the ecosystem around sort of feature flag life cycle and like, when does a, a, um, a feature that's behind a flag become ready to just like be part of the core version in there. Um, I think it also, it works differently. Like a lot of the world that I think of feature flags in is like a web application where like the versioning is a little bit less important for the end user versus say like a, um, like a desktop application where that versioning is going to yeah, be a lot more important. Yeah. So, so, so we build SDKs right, yeah. for people. So that's versioning is an APIs, right? So versioning yeah, yeah, is yeah. like a really big deal. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's so funny. Like, I'm, I'm giving the answer of I think this stuff feature flags could all, but you're right. It actually does end up there. Ends up being this, um, this conversation around like, do feature flags actually make it better or worse for maintaining? Because now for every version, I've got all these flags, um, and it's definitely like a topic that I think is very big in in this this industry right now is how can you make the use of some of these technologies and tools like feature flags that have the potential to really like increase your velocity and increase the ability for you to continuously deliver but also not have all of this overhanging debt that's there so yeah it's an interesting it's typical, space to be in it's typical engineering right there's no easy answer. it's always it's always no. trade-offs right it's always trade-offs that's- that's why we're all paid to. to oh, exactly. That's why we got the big money, Andrew. The big money. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's why we're in startups, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, yeah. The other question I had for you is why? So there's, there seems to be a, a bunch of new feature flag startups. There's a lot of discussion about it. It's much. It's becoming much more. You've got us. I would have said it's just becoming much more accepted in general. I didn't even know yeah. there was a standard. Given it as a standard, wow, okay, it's got even further than I would have thought. Yeah. Why now? Why why is why is this the time I, of the feature flag? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think the industry was ready for change. I think the past like five years have really shifted how we work um and how we deploy and what team compositions look like. Um, so I think the world has changed, software development has changed, and we're looking for ways to, um, uh, to not only speed up the development process, but also engage more people in the development and testing process. And that's really hard to do if you're doing certain kinds of development, whereas if you're using feature flags where you can sort of control and target who's seeing what, you can open a lot more people into the, right. that window. Yeah. You know? Yes, and I, um, I think that's that's a crucial little uh, feature of the feature flags that you might miss. This is not just an environment variable that turns a feature globally on and off, right? This is, you're showing them to subsets of users and that, that's where the real value comes in. Yeah. And so like, it's interesting too. So with DevCycle, one of the big pieces, or I guess with any feature flag management platform, um, the focus there is really um, lots of people have powerful feature flags. Um, Like you can create these with environment variables. A lot of them are just Boolean on-off statements, Mm. but like DevCycle, you can have feature flags that are strings. You can have them as JSON arrays. Like you have so much power over what those look like, but also you can target on like any criteria that you can imagine. And um, the speed is just out of this world. We um, we actually um, developed something a few years ago called the EdgeDB. So basically it allows for um, really, really... um, rapid 
feature flag delivery of, of sort of whatever state it is in any environment using some really um, well-structured um, code that is delivered through CDN. So the speed of, through which you're able to do these things now um, and change these things is also, um, yeah, been, been really cool. What about things like, I used, I used to build a whole bunch of mobile apps, right? So don't you get flack from Apple? Obviously, it, this doesn't apply to Android, but doesn't Apple get a bit annoyed if features are flickering on and off in apps? Have you ever, have you ever had any trouble that way? Yeah, it's a good question. So not that I've heard of. Um, we do have iOS SDKs, we have Android SDKs. Yeah. Um, because of the way that our mobile SDKs work, I think it's just it's very, it's super, super seamless. It's a very light touch. And so um, yeah, it's it's a great question that I don't really know the answer to. I'm sure, I'm sure they probably are unhappy about it um, to the point that they'll eventually develop their own feature flagging tool within Swift um, oh, within yeah, the development environment. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's been pretty smooth so far. We've got a lot of clients that are developing on on uh, on iOS. Okay, so using your SDK platform. doesn't cause trouble because no. that does happen sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh what do you so what do you what does Andrew do specifically to make this happen for devs like yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I come on podcasts like this uh, and chat about feature <laughs> yeah. flags. Such uh, a hard no, life. It's a hard. I job. know. <laughs> someone's um, got to do it. <laughs> someone's got to do it. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I was at a I was at a, a, a dinner party, a holiday party with um, with someone the uh, or with my wife's work the other day, and somebody asked like, "What do you do for a living?" And uh, they're not technical. And I said, um, "Okay, have you ever met a software developer, an engineer?" And she's like, "Yeah, my husband's a software engineer." I was like. Great. So you'll understand this. So um, there's some really technical topics that you're dealing with in the world of software development that are sometimes really hard to understand um, if you're not in that exact world all the time. And so the software development industry has sort of developed this new um, subset of careers, which involves um, a new type of technical communication. So have you ever had a hard time talking to your software developer husband about what he does? Um, I am there to be the intermediary between you and your husband or your husband and other developers or anybody in the software industry. So um, I feel like I just encapsulated DevRel in there. But if not, <laughs> I, I, I will say I do I do developer relations for, yeah. uh, for DevCycle. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there was a discussion on Twitter recently. People, people were saying, you know, how do I tell, how do I tell, how do I tell my parents what I do? Right. Yeah. Uh, the consensus was that you tell them you fix printers. That's right. That's the right answer. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was on a questions. <laughs> when I first started in the industry, uh, I had a flight attendant. I don't know why they asked me, or maybe I just like blurted it out. Cause I was really excited yeah. to be doing this. Um, and they said, what do you do? I said, I do PR for software developers. And they were like, Oh, interesting. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that's fully true. Um, but, uh, that but sounds yeah. more like a, I don't want to hear any more about that. <laughs> exactly. No, but I do think, I do think like, it's interesting. I feel like that's this a good way. Yeah. PR. Yeah. It is. Um, yeah. It is. But like, I, I think really like we're the new generation of technical writers, right? Um, just like you can't, kind of just write a book anymore. You have to write a book and have an audio podcast. Then it has to have a film adaptation. Um, we are the ones that make all of that happen. Do yeah. the writing, talk to people about it, 
Um, Make sure there's a GitHub out. repo like, behind it. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so I so I work, um, I'm, I'm the developer relations manager, developer advocate, developer educator, um, jack of all trade, DevRel practitioner. Um, yeah, and so I run the DevRel ship at DevCycle um, since, uh, yeah, since March of this year. So do you have a... Um team or is it are you still early stage and it's just yourself or do you drag the founders in how do you guys yeah yeah so we're pretty we're pretty not early stage uh our company so dev cycle is sort of a new product of an older company called taplytics which is about 10 years old um and so we have a lot fairly like we're a team of around 30 um with everybody combined uh so i'm kind of the one that's on the ground doing all DevRel stuff all the time, but we're lucky enough that everybody has um, really um, our entire executive team and company understands the value that DevRel provides. And so everybody's willing to step in and help. So um, I kind of coordinate things, um, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's a whole team effort. Oh, okay. Speaking about coordination. Mm. Um, so this uh the video of this is up. There's a really great talk by um, some of the, the guys at Sneak. Uh, it was at the uh, DevRelCon London event earlier this year, September, talking about how they measure and coordinate everything at Sneak. Um, so, it's yeah, so coordination. How do you do it? Do you use tools, spreadsheets? Yeah. How that's do you keep good... it all together? Like, how do you, how do you manage? That's a good question. Yeah, I definitely encourage anybody to watch that talk from Snake. Sneak. I it's happened. I, I was in London for that and got to listen to it, and I came back and was like, "We need to be doing that." Yeah, um, <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. Yeah, like the and and in case you want the TLDR for what that is, is basically Sneak hires senior senior engineers for their DevRel team who build the tooling to ensure that anything that they produce gets everywhere. So they've got like, uh, I don't know, like at I I. If you consider for like delivering software, you got like a CI CD pipeline. They've got like a DevRel delivery integration pipeline that just yeah. ensures that they are. Ev- it's so cool. Like watch the talk. Yeah. Um, yeah, ours is a lot more manual. Uh, we use Linear uh, at our company. So that's the tool that we use. Uh, it's great because it provides transparency and um, um, insight across teams. Like everybody can kind of see what's going on a little bit in a little bit of a cleaner way than say Jira or some of these other tools. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is kind of manual. We use Notion a lot uh, yeah. and Slack. So kind of combining linear slack and notion um is kind of our our three like our toolkit that that kind and, of keeps me going and would you guys have like written your own slack bots to help with tech support and that type of mm-hmm. stuff yeah so so we, i guess we also use discord um for discord. sort of our our customer support um side of things um yeah we do um we're we're small enough that a lot of our stuff can still be done really manually and one of the decisions we made internally both at kind of the previous company that I worked in DevRel at and at this company was if we can keep the human touch there, um, the, the longer we can keep the human touch, the better. Um, yeah. And so yeah. what we actually ended up doing was every single member of the DevCycle team is on Discord. So if you go into our Discord server right now, you can talk to everybody from our CEO to like our account managers um, and ask them questions. And they're all there. And we have like a channel in our Slack that they can see when there's notifications. So like wow, everybody. Okay. That's, that's amazing. Uh, compared to some companies where you go to the website and nothing, right? There's no way to get hold of people. There's yeah. just there's just nothing. 
Uh, is there? I, 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 does anybody have a, a product or an open source tool or something that lets you manage that lets you manage that stuff, right? So you maybe you, maybe you, you content on Twitch and you Discord channels, you Slack channels, and yeah, yeah. So is there um, anything that brings it all together? Yeah, so we use Orbit um, internally. Uh, yeah, so there's lots of tools out there. One out of Europe, um, out of Germany, Berlin, I think, um, is called crowd.dev. Um, there's orbit.love, um, which I've been using for the past few years. There's also, uh, what's the really, really, really big one? They sponsored DevRelCon this year. They were a big sponsor. Um, but they're in the same kind of spaces. Yeah. Oh, Common Room, um, of like yeah. all of those tools. Um, and they're all also now adding more features that allow for you to manage your DevRel activities in there as well. So I think Orbit just released like a uh, an advocate uh, module so you can actually help build out and manage your advocates running meetup events and things like that. So um, yeah, we use Orbit. Yeah. Uh, Again, we're pretty small. So uh, in terms of like our, our like day-to-day interactions with community um, that that we're able to kind of use that to get some insight and then do a lot of these things manually. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's some really powerful tooling that's out there to, to kind of help you get some insight into what's going on. Let's change gears a little bit. Um, all right. Um, so how did you learn to do all this stuff? Because uh, yeah, you have an interesting history, a couple of interesting, yeah. couple of interesting companies, right? Involving snakes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I learned to do that. It's like, so I, like many people I've met in DevRel, kind of fell into this um, accidentally and had no idea that it existed. Um, so yeah, my background uh, is an interesting one. So I have a my undergraduate degree is in um, is in forensic science, actually. So like, if you ever watch the CSI shows um, on TV, That's um, wow. Yeah, so that was what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the guy in the lab or wearing the sunglasses and taking them off at the crime scene. Um, and I'm trying uh, to picture you in a in a white coat here. I yeah. know exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I but but it didn't end up happening. Um, I actually ended up um, kind of pivoting into in, into tech and and tech education, um, and and built like a a, um, a boot camp program at a university where I live here in Canada. And through that, got introduced to um, the the founder co founder of this uh, really really cool startup called Battlesnake. Um, so Battlesnake, uh, if you ever played that old Snake. Nokia phone game oh, where yeah. you like go around and get bigger <laughs> after you eat things. So what if yeah. that uh I guess the the um the not mission statement but the the kind of um st- value proposition with this this company was uh you are a senior developer you want to learn a new technology um you could go and do an online course or watch some videos, but that's not super engaging and you're probably beyond that. So what if there was a, a technology agnostic platform where you could test out your learning in real time and also have some fun and fun that your family can watch? Um, so in Battlesnake, you basically created these um, AI snakes that were at a core level, just like basic web servers that were communicating with the Battlesnake engine. Um, and you battled against other snakes on the board and tried to survive and we did big tournaments it was kind of like an esports e-learning yeah, thing yeah. Um, cool. yeah and so that that's kind of where i um i started uh into this industry as a non-technical okay. community manager but just to so what was the business model how did battle snakes make money 
Yeah. So we were, um, we had some really, really awesome sponsors. So we're based here in Canada. So Royal Bank of Canada, big tech company, they were a big sponsor. DigitalOcean was a sponsor. Oh, I mean, it was for recruiting. Uh, no, not not necessarily. Uh, more like a brand recognition. So we didn't sell like recruitment lists. It wasn't it wasn't like that. It was more okay. um, folks. So DigitalOcean wanted to get more senior developers using their technology, or New Relic wanted to have developers thinking of them when they were thinking of observability. And okay. so it was more. Um, yeah, they provided support to kind of make that happen. And uh, yeah, and then we kind of supported. Um, we'd go to events and kind of. Offer so really you were cool. you were learning community management, community building there right? in, in real time. Yeah, real time. yeah. So make any um, make any fun mistakes. Oh my god, yes, <laughs> all of the mistakes. It was so it was so interesting too um, because early on. Um, Battlesnake, when it first started, was a bunch of, it was kind of like the classic startup story. It was a bunch of the founders of another startup wanted a way to engage the local tech community. So they hacked this together in like a weekend and did it as an internal company event. And by the time um, 2018, 2019 rolled around, it was the largest tech event on the West Coast of Canada, 2000 people in a big conference room, all building snakes. Instead of having booths, you had... Um, Amazing. You had Amazing. vendors that created snakes that you had to compete against. It was so cool. And then when I joined the team was actually during the pandemic. Uh, so back in 2020, um, I, I kind of joined just as as we were switching. And so we literally went from an in-person event-driven company to a um to a um uh, an online SaaS, not SaaS platform, but like an online globally accessible platform, um, not overnight, but pretty fast. Um, and so it was really interesting coming into the job because um, I had no idea what community management was. I was kind of asked to come and help out with marketing and I wanted to try everything that was there. So as soon as I discovered a new community thing, I was like, I want to do that. And so very early on in that, I was just like asking all the time. I was like, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And um, and I was glad that that Brad, the the founder of the company and, and sort of the other, the, the C-suite that was there were kind of like, listen, like, let's go. We're going to do unscalable things. Yeah. Um, in a really impactful way that eventually we'll figure out how they scale. And so we were able to kind of make the most impact without kind of going crazy on, on trying to be DevRel or be community super early on when, when we hadn't even figured out what that meant yet. What have, what have you taken over to DevCycle? What, what are you doing now that you would not have done then? Yeah, so it's super interesting. I, I it's almost when I moved over to DevCycle, um, I don't want to say that it was kind of starting fresh, but I would say um it's almost sometimes better to not know uh what what's the saying? Like you don't know what you don't know. So when I was doing community management stuff with with Battlesnake, I there was no expectations because we didn't know what community management was. And so yeah. I was um I was doing a lot of uh, um, stuff all over the place and it was a lot kind of the spaghetti approach of like throw it all against the wall and see what sticks. With DevCycle, I think when we joined the, when Battlesnake joined the DevCycle team, one of the things was like, okay, Andrew, you're going from community to developer relations manager. 
what's our strategy going to be, which hadn't necessarily ah, right. been you moved from, Okay, so Battlestakes was all tactics, whereas now there has to be strategy. Kind of, yeah, because I mean, I think we kind of, we went from uh, very much like community led, this was like a fun thing and learning experience to like, here's a SaaS platform where like, we're actually selling this product and we need to be able to onboard developers in a slightly different way. Um, And we had sales that was in the picture now, we had like an actual marketing team and we had a full on engineering team. And so a lot of what I was doing was kind of translating what we did at that small scale and trying to bring it up to uh, a larger scale. But one of the things that I did right away, actually, and I will say that that was something that we had done at Battlesync that took us a while to figure it out, was to start doing um, streaming like right away. So I think I've been since March, so it's been like eight months, um, I've created like seven different live streaming series, um, which are super low lift in terms of a... um, uh, a content creation strategy that allows for you to demonstrate your product in a meaningful way. Um, but all of them are different. So it's not like a stressful experience when we're going. So we didn't really have a change log as a company, like an official one. So I created yeah. a live stream where once a month at the end of the month, I go on with a new member of the team and we just talk about the platform and that becomes our content piece. That's our change log. Um, we didn't know how our platform. Ones, integ- I like it. Yeah. I like it. Right. Yeah. We didn't know how our platform uh, integrated with other technologies. And so I created a series called Does It Toggle, which is focused on um, <laughs> like, does the actual platform toggle with DevCycle? Um, we, uh, our, our, our VP of engineering uh, was like, uh, they had a, uh, we have a thread that was like cool tech things. Um, and so we were tra- chatting one day and we came up with this dumb, not dumb, like, honestly, it's a great name, but we were kind of joking about it as a dad joke, dev tools and dev cools, um, where we literally will go with like hot trending um, tech topics that are out in the world. We'll talk about them. We'll build a project with them. And so it's been so great because I've been able to bring on like almost half the company now onto various streams, engaging them in the DevRel process. So it's not all Andrew or Andrew needing to rely on a team. Yeah, that is a great um, one. That's that because yeah. I because I do see some others who it's one person and they are like they're the ones who have to have to carry it all. And then sometimes they miss a week because you know people get busy and, and stuff. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, okay, so now they missed a week. Yeah. Um, I think the format too, also, like because I've got because we've got like five different shows, um, we can switch things up. So like, it's easy to get bored doing the same thing over and over again. Whereas if you're doing different things and involving different people, it stays fresh all the time. It's also allowed like a really low lift way to engage with partners. So um, I don't know if you know the company One Signal. Um, So um, we had a meeting with One Signal a couple of months ago and they had, um, we were interested in doing a partnership and they were like, what do we do? And I said, "Will, Will, their DevRel guy and I will go on and we'll do a collaborative stream. And we've been doing these streams kind of every three weeks for the past couple months. And we literally just go on, build a project with our technologies. We don't plan it out. It's very organic. And it just sort of provides insight into what the true development process looks like in a way that doesn't require either company to invest a massive amount of time in building this out, but provides a massive amount of value for for end users and and, uh, yeah, anybody that's looking to integrate the two platforms. Wow. Okay. Okay. Man, I gotta get. I gotta get my. I gotta get my streaming on. 
<laughs> I'm just you got eating... a podcast, Richard. Yeah, you got a yeah, podcast. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, but you know, you can never be too busy. You can never be too busy. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we do a lot of internal pair programming. Um, it's probably suitable for something. Uh, yeah. Um, one of the coolest things, and one of the reasons why I kind of did this was um, we had a um, we had a um, uh, when Battlesnake uh, when we were looking to expand into things, our CEO uh, used to do sort of like roadmap checks where he would go through and look at issues and review them and see how they fit into things, and he would do them internally. And then one day he was just like, "We need some content. I'm just going to go on stream and like review in real time all the content." content and i think it ended up we ended up calling it like talking battle snake with brad and it was just like a live stream of him working in his office and honestly it kind of ended up being open office hours live on stream that we could then use as sort of other we could double dip into that content but i do think streaming especially with the tooling that's out there right now um you for a very minimal cost you can build a really solid devrel program with very little resources um that can provide a lot of impact that's a really valuable takeaway um that is very very interesting and food for thought for myself included andrew i'm gonna say goodbye uh this has been very 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 cool uh lots to think about thank you so much amazing thank you so much for having me richard i cannot wait to hear the podcast when it comes out <laughs> okay take care talk All soon right, thanks bye-bye bye-bye you can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgate.com podcast Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgate.com newsletter or follow our Twitter at Voxgate. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.